sponsor. The Giant's March is a tale of epic proportions. A team of giants venture into the mountains to rescue a kidnapped girl. Upon their return, they think their lives will return to normality. But they're sent on a diplomatic mission to deal with a devilish race of tieflings. Sort of elf-like creatures, you see. They learn there was more to the case of the kidnapped girl than they realized, and things proved to be quite dire for everyone. It's a story of mystery, survival, diplomacy, and gods. Listen to The Giant's March wherever you get your Time to Die shows. University in Pembine, our investigators were questioned by the sheriff. What happened here? Uh, I was escorting Dr. Greenbank to her, uh, to over here. We saw the, the, the doors were clean blown off and, uh, you know, we were trying to get a hold of security and, and then we saw him and, uh, well, we didn't see nothing leaving, so I it, it could still be around here, you know, uh... The questioning came to a halt when strange noises were heard in the hallway and the sheriff disappeared. Sheriff, you there? It sounds like something sort of skitters down the hallway. And Elliot and Ronnie would also hear this as you're like, you're all in different classrooms, but like close enough that you would all hear this sound kind of like that like a dog with long claws makes running on, um, on like hardwood floor. With Dr. Greenbank heading home, her three companions were trapped at the university alone and handcuffed. We are going to have to just try to use pick the lock with these, and I, I kind of hold up with my hands behind me the uh, scalpels or, or whatever. You almost stab Ronnie multiple times, but then it clicks open. <laughs> with Ronnie freed from his bonds, they fled the scene in one of the officer's cars. It immediately would occur to each of you that something grabbed the sheriff and then dragged him from that car to the woods. Yeah, I'm just jumping in and um, getting the door closed. I'm like, go, go, now. Yeah, you you squeal off, I mean, um, like a bat out of hell. Finally, they made their way back to Dr. Greenbank's residence. It was in our heads. We lost track of time because suddenly nighttime. We didn't even know it. Right. Just sit down. Yeah, he's right. We we did lose time. It, at least 20, 30 minutes. Just gone. Out of our memory. Climb aboard if you dare as we return to tonight's tale of the devil's antlers. 
Dr. Greenbank had just, like, she's made, like, a pot of coffee, and she's got all these papers spread out on the table, and she's just, like, and she has also poured them stiff drinks if they would like one. Absolutely. There's this big orange cat just, like, weaving its way around your legs. And she's just like, okay, so this um, docket that I found on my um, porch, at least there's some information in it that connects to what we've been witnessing. I assume that's an overturn address. Uh, found this near the mounds. Not sure why I went back. Someone needs to get to the bottom of this. I don't think he can rest until they do. Good luck. And it's from P.S. All right, so what's inside? This. And she uh, takes out this book that's just full of writing. That's a big letter. Yeah. Do you guys remember the article that was published about the door found at that um, that mound? Was that the, uh, the McMahon fella? He found it? Yes. I think I remember a little bit about it. You'll have to excuse me. I'm I'm in the dark on this one. Uh, a mound with, with the door. The Menominee and other native cultures around this area used mounds as sacred sites, cultic ritual sites, things like that. There was an iron door found made of solid iron. Uh, this is near Norway, just for reference. And... The thing is, is that the Menominee have never had smelting practices advanced enough to create something like this. Right. Uh. So, naturally, the assumption is is that it's a hoax. Unless they were ahead of the time. Well, even if they were, there would be evidence left behind of things to heat um, rock up to that temperature to get the, the iron out. So what's the conclusion? that it was possibly brought here or possibly that evidence was taken away. I think it's probably more likely someone put the door on more recently. But, uh, you know, it doesn't really explain why. It's kind of a weird thing to do. Most people would think that's bad luck, you know. Messing with uh, burial grounds or whatnot, that kind of stuff. And this person who wrote this book suggests that the marks on the door represent a tree of life, which we can get to later. That's a pretty universal symbol in terms of religion. And there's someone here, his name is Burkhart. This person was in contact with him to talk about securing studies on this door and these mounds. His name is Nielsen Burkhart. Have you guys ever heard of him? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. A lot of people pass through the bar, but that name uh, doesn't ring a bell. Okay, how about Hargrave Molitor? That one neither. No, no. This archaeologist, it seems, was threatened, and there's this note that someone found, that he found, and it's, um, it was nailed to a tree. It says, you've no business here. Leave or die. Good God Almighty, San Antonio, Texas. You'll pardon my language. This is a lot to take in. And this tree, it was near the iron door? 
No, the tree was engraved on the door. This Molita fella went by multiple Monicas? That's a bit of a tongue twister. No, it was uh, Molitor is Burkhardt's assistant. And there's this Latin... It feels... This reads like someone has been losing control of themselves, but the thing is, is that at the very end, they mention a name, and the name is Ithakwa. Gesundheit. Uh, it's been quite a while since I, uh, you know learned any latin but that doesn't really sound like a latin name it's not that's the patron god of the wendigo and that is according to a lot of midwestern specifically northern midwestern native american tribes menominee algonquin ojibwe all of those people there exists a creature called a wendigo this Wendigo is the remnants of someone who had to choose to either eat human flesh or starve. And if they chose to eat human flesh, they were turned into this monster that existed in a perpetual state of starvation and suffering and torment and would just attack anything it could get its hands on and Ithakwa is the god of those creatures alright so how does this relate to the doorman it's some sort of cultural connection and there's this big paragraph in latin that this person has done a bit of translation on but uh, it has something about crossing the water and this guy is talking about opening the door and this is something very ancient and very powerful. Could be a metaphor. Possibly crossing the water is crossing the threshold into some other place. Could be a metaphor for crock of shit. That too. I highly doubt it. We were chased by something that was very real and not a crock of shit. In fact, I started to like pat my um my sides and stuff. Who's got the gun? Uh, thought you had it, Elliot. You leave it in the car. I I must have. Um, I'll I'll be right back, and I'm gonna go out to the the car to find the gun and the bullets. No problem. They are sitting in the back seat where you were. All right. And like my hands are are shaking, like the the nerves are like the shock is like starting to wear off, and so the nerves are starting to like kind of come on. And, uh, yeah, I pick up the bullets and the gun, and I just start to kind of look out, um, down the dark street both ways, kind of see what I can see. Go ahead and roll me wisdom. Not great for me. Yeah, that's, uh, nope. <laughs> Everything seems peachy keen to you. <sighs> All right, keep it together. I go back inside. should probably keep that on your person. Uh, this is just a standard one, right? Just pull and it fires, correct? Or do I have to pull the hammer back? No, you can pull and fire it. Don't don't fire it in here. Right. I, I wasn't planning on it. Keep it down on the ground, yeah. 
Uh, Dart, would you like to try and translate the Latin passage? Yeah, I was gonna, um, uh, you know, uh, Darty, uh, I can try and translate that, I mean, like I said, I'm pretty rusty, but I should be able to, uh, you know, get something out of it, at least. Would I be able to assist him? Because, uh, Latin probably would have been a required course at Cambridge. No problem. So, uh, uh, Elliot, a little bit of help, but I got here, uh, let's see, uh, open the door, close your eyes, uh, your faith, our faith is sealed, your faith is sealed. I, I believe in, in that conjugation, yes, your. Your, your, okay, your faith is sealed, uh, let's see. Punch in near death. Yeah, uh, or hit, strike. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the the river of time, as the sum of the eternal dance. Uh, since the the distance between the time of the flood. With the way the verb is, it seems like like it's a flood of time. Oh. I'm impressed, Vandemeek. I didn't know you could read. I just give Ronnie a really blank look <laughs> and uh, turn back and... Uh, yeah, Pops wanted me to go to DMLC, but uh, I had other plans, so... I got a little bit of kind of second-hand learning, I guess. So I can assume that the first line you said there, open the door, that refers to this mound door. Why would you close your eyes? I mean, what's the point of opening the door if you're not going to look inside? This person described a ritual. He put his head into the water and essentially drowned himself to open the door and listen, listen to this. Ifakwa, to begin to describe what I saw would be impossible. It was like our own world, but without the same governance. The spirits there were those dead, I think, and other things, horrible things that cannot be allowed into this world. The door was open on that side, and I closed myself inside. The doctor's signal, after all. When I awoke, the door was open. I had done it. Dr. Northquist returned to Milwaukee a bit shaken up, but hopefully none the worse for the wear. And after that ritual, this person describes that he is... Uh, every time I find myself solitude, there is this awful feeling in the pit of my stomach that I am not alone. His voice, it commands and we are all in danger. Something will be awakened by the ritual, but he cannot abide a usurper. His king demands that we must cross to destroy her, to kill all challengers, Beware and do as he asks, whether his reach affects or not, cross to her dimension. When four drown at the cardinals, you can enter the realm of death. Repeat the chant of time and drown yourselves at the cardinals. You must stop what we have awakened. Sounds like this fella belonged in a loony bin. Well, a lot of people think that I belong in a loony bin too, so we're going to take that with a few grains of salt. 
I would never put you in a loony bin. Oh, and touched. So was he part of a group of four? And he was the only one that made it? Or did he not, never make it to the Cardinals? There was this... This Dr. Northquist. There was this person who wrote this. Plus Burkhart and Molitor, maybe? Maybe. And... Tim, is this um, journal written in, in like, ink? Like, um, pen ink? Yes. By hand? Yep, okay. it's been um, typed out. Or it's been written out by hand, yes. Do you have any guess how old this text is? Yeah, this this can't be that old. A decade, maybe. Okay. Frosty, is this making any kind of sense to you? Anything you studied across the pond? Of, of course not. It makes more sense to that book I bought recently, and I have barely gotten into this Aleister Crowley book about witchcraft. Do you think it could be real? <laughs> I mean, no, but neither did what happened earlier. Neither did what happened even earlier than that with the dream, or the, the thing that I saw that night. Let's just say hypothetically, if it was real. What could we do about it? I guess we could try to go to the Cardinals. Wherever Dad is. Or, if this is real, we could get out of this place. Skip town, eh? Um, we've already seen more dead bodies than I would have liked to have seen in, in my entire life. So, I think that's the rational decision here. I, I, my curiosity was piqued when a window blew out when people started dying let's that... also say again just as an imaginary scenario uh, that if somebody were to skip town he would have other people coming after him with possibly guns uh, that's another complication I, I couldn't even fathom well, it... oh I can fathom it even if you do leave town like what about your, uh, what about your old lady and your kid? That's, that's what I'm thinking about right now. I, I think I need to get them and, and get out of here. Well, judging by the signs, everything that we've come to so far, it's only been going after Frosty and Greenbank. As far as I can tell, Vandemeek and I are free to go. Not now that you know this. I've definitely had multiple encounters. I don't know anything. I can't make heads or tails out of it. Vandemeek's the one that knows Latin. One thing that strikes me is we had an occurrence at the lodge. And then we had an occurrence at the school, university. Those are fairly far apart. Are we dealing with two different things? Or something that's following us. I put my hand on the gun. <laughs> following you, maybe. Anytime things happened, you were all there. Well, except the the time in the night. But it was in this town. There was nothing that happened to me before I got here. Perhaps we should barricade the door. Wait the night out. See if it rears its ugly head. I just would rather not be caught unawares. If, if we're going to do that, uh, Dr. Greenbank, do you have a telephone? I do. Um... I'd like to use it, please. Go ahead. Feel free, hon. So, yeah, I'm going to split off and um, and call, try to get in touch with Nora. 
I think that um, it rings and it rings and it rings and it rings and you keep waiting, just assuming that, you know, she must be asleep, but it keeps ringing over and over and over again. The next thing you know, you've been waiting on this phone for probably two and a half minutes of it just ringing and nobody is answering at all. And you know for a fact from everything that you've learned from the people at the hotel that Nora does not work nights. She is the manager of the, of, of the cleaning staff. This doesn't make any sense. She would be back at home. Why is she not awakening to a phone call? I'm gonna put the phone down kind of uh, harshly and then I'm going to uh, call the, the hotel. This is the uh, Four Seasons. How can I help you? Um, yes, uh, this is kind of an odd question to ask at this time of night, but is Nora happened to be working? No, Nora didn't come in today. We think, we, you know, maybe she was sick or something. Didn't come in at all? Nope, didn't even give us a call. I've got to go. Uh, thank you, bye. And I, I slam the, the phone down and, and run into the other room. What happened? Nora didn't come into work today. Nor did she call. Nora did she call. No. I've got to go. And I grab the the gun and the the keys and I'm heading out towards the cop car. Hey Frosty, that was the only gun we had. I mean, Elliot is heading out towards the cop car to start it up and uh, it would seem like go somewhere. What do y'all want to do? Elliot. I've got to, to check on them. Whatever's happening, it, it could be happening to them. I need to go. I would be following, I think. I'm going to try and hop in the back. Unless Elliot stops you, and I don't think he can, because he's kind of weak. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't stop anybody. If they all wanted to come, I'd be, like, you know, fine with it. It's, uh, it's just that I'm going. <laughs> I'm in the back. Okay. Uh, Dorothy is going to get in her car and follow them. Come on! Okay. Yeah, I, I fire up that thing and uh, point the hood towards Pinbine. You pull out onto Shore Drive and you start driving back into Marinette so that you can make your way towards uh, 64 and start making your way towards Pinbine. And it's incredibly odd. The moon was at three quarters and... Almost immediately, it goes under cloud cover. And then, five minutes later, you see just a light sprinkle of snowflakes start to fall down. And then eventually, after maybe no more than ten minutes, it turns into almost a whiteout. You get to the intersection of... County T and 180 and Highway 64, and you know... um, Probably not you, Elliot, but Dr. Greenbank and uh, Ronnie and Dart, who have been up in this area a lot, you know that County T eventually turns into 180, but you can barely see these roads in front of you as you're driving. Like, it has become just incredibly inclement. Take it easy, Frosty. Yeah, does anyone else have uh, better sea legs when it comes to driving in the snow? Dr. Greenbank is following in her car. She's not in the oh, okay. car with you guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> You'll see the hazard lights come on, and I uh, slowly come to a stop. I would kind of prefer if Vandemeek took the wheel 
if I'm being honest. Yeah, probably best that you uh, you let someone a little bit more experience with driving in the snow at least. Uh, this is going to be tough though. This is going to be a long drive. Yes, uh, we got to do it. And um, I know like where her house is, right? In Pimbine? Yeah, I think I don't think that you would be unaware. I think you've sent letters okay. in there. They just haven't been responded to. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I tell them where to go, and uh, I, I'm gonna kind of do this um, as the old, you know, running around the car fire drill thing, where I, I step out and, and go around, and he can slide over on the seat or go around his way if uh, he would like. One of the first things that you would notice when you get outside is that it is almost impossible to see while you're standing. Like, you can't see the white line, you can't see the dotted yellow center line, you can see the car enough to fire drill around it with Elliot. Like, this is... This is borderline stupid. I get back in. It's pretty cold out there. Okay, we need to go. We at least know that that way is where the road was. Can we do this? I mean, I've never driven in worse, Elliot. And, you know, I learned to drive up here. This, this ain't really possible. We can go, but it's going to be 15, 20 minutes before we're in a ditch best, you know? Well, we could wait in the car, or we could wait in the car in the ditch. Yeah, Elliot's just sitting there thinking. So, Dart, the first thing that you would know is all plow trucks in a local municipality like Marinette would be out and doing the local main roads, which would mean that at some point a plow is going to come through here. They are not going to go down 180 or 64 until they get done with the municipality or until county drivers get out there. Uh, yeah. So for one thing, like like I said, we're going to end up in a ditch sooner than we're going to end up in Pembine. Second of all, you know, if we keep driving, we're just going to end up buried sooner or later. Plows ain't going to be through here probably until maybe early morning if we're lucky. They might not get out here till the afternoon. I hate to say it, but I think we got to turn around. Try and get back to, uh, to Dorothy's place and, you know, if we make it that far, I think we'll be lucky. So are you, are you planning on turning the car around then and going back the other way? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Greenbank, you would see uh, the hazards just barely through this whiteout, and then they'll pull over, and they're stopped there for a pretty long period of time. And then all of a sudden you see the car signals to the left and makes a U-turn. I'm going to pull up even with her car. Okay. And, uh, like, roll my window down. Okay, she'll do the same. What the hell is happening? I don't know. It seems like we're getting snowed in. I think we got to go back to your place and just try calling them more. I think that's the only thing we're going to really get. I know. Here's hoping the phone lines hold up. I haven't even thought of that. All right, yeah, uh, 
Come on, stay close because uh, I don't want to lose you in the snow, okay? Gotcha. Dr. Greenbank, the instant that uh, Dart goes forward, you try and turn the wheels of your car and you hit the gas a little bit and your car lurches forward a little bit and then it immediately lurches backwards and you can feel your rear tires are just spinning on something. Uh, she, she'll beep the horn. Okay. Uh, as soon as the car stops, I'm getting out and walking over towards her car. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you would probably see uh, Dr. Greenbank trying to put it back between reverse and first and like kind of rocking the car and the car is just burying itself further even though Dr. Greenbank is doing everything correctly for the conditions. Uh, Ronnie, give me a hand. Yeah, I'll hop out. I'm going to start checking the cop car, the, the squad car, and see if they have any, any provisions for this kind of scenario, you know, any... Uh, gravel or sand, road flares, that kind of thing. Okay, so you would definitely find uh, there are road flares in the trunk and there are chains as well. Um, so you could possibly try and tow it out or push it out, you know what I mean? It's kind of up to you. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely uh, bring the flares and the chain over and say, uh, uh, so I'm not going to be great at hooking this up, but uh, if any of you can, we can at least melt a little bit of the snow around the tires and, uh, you know, maybe pull it out with the squad car. The wind is howling around all of you. Like, it is deafening. And your face is being stung by the just impenetrable coldness of everything that is around you. And then it kind of stops. Everything gets still, and all of the snowflakes are falling down straight, and there are still so very many of them. And as Dart passes off these chains, you hear something crunch in the snow off to the right of Dr. Greenbank's car. Um, I, I quickly get the gun out of my pocket and pull, pull it up. Who's there? Tell me. I, I have a gun. Roll me dexterity and don't roll a 20, please. All right, it's a four. Okay, cool. And my dex score is nine, so either way. No worries. You hear nothing. Just an eerie silence and just that soft sound of snowflakes hitting the ground. I mean it. Tell me who you are. You hear another crunch directly in front of the car. I'm going to aim towards it, and um, there's no one standing in the way, right? There's no one even in front of the car at this point. Okay, I'm taking a shot where I heard the crunch. Everyone hears this gunshot ring out. And then the wind begins to howl again, just loud as though it's going through a corridor and you realize that all of the pines that are on either side kind of create this but what the fuck Ronnie get Dr. Greenbank and get her to the to the cop car huh yeah 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 hey Elliot I think right now we uh we abandoned this car and we all make our way to the cop car yes exactly that's what I'm saying oh great okay 
Uh, and I'm still holding the gun towards the, the area where I shot at. Dr. Greenbank, your door would get ripped open and uh, Ronnie, go ahead. Oh God, okay. Did you forget something else? I was like, no. Gunfair, no. <laughs> we are commandeering the vehicle all aboard. All right. What was that? Did you hear that? Nope, didn't hear nothing. Let's go. Uh, Dart, I assume you peel the fuck out of there as quickly as possible once everybody's loaded in. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he takes that, like, first couple inches to make sure the tires are gripping, and then it's getting floored. Do you plan on stopping for any red lights or anything like that? Uh, slowing down, but not stopping. Perfect. Well, then you manage to get back to Dr. Greenbanks without getting stuck. I mean, it's treacherous. There are a few times where you get close to, like, drifting off into the ditch, but you're kind of a pro at understeering at this point, and so you manage to keep it on the road, and you get back to Dr. Greenbanks, you pull into the driveway, and... Holy shit. Yeah, I would have been silent the whole way back when we get to the, um... to the, uh, Dr. Greenbanks house, I, I finally say there was something there in front of the vehicle. I don't doubt it. What, did I see anything from my position in the driver's seat? You did not. Well, here we are again. Dr. D, you know anything about that, uh, that, uh, what it go? Being able to turn invisible or nothing? Not that I know of, but, you know, it is a supernatural creature based off of everything horrible about humanity and living in a constant state of starvation that differs across every single culture. So, you know, I wouldn't really be surprised. Dr. Greenbank, please roll me intelligence. Son of a bitch. All right. (laughs) Pass. Okay. So the... One of the things that would occur to you is in Ojibwe lore, um, Wendigos are adept at throwing not only their voices, but noises. I know according to the Ojibwe, Wendigos are, can throw not just their voices, but sounds too. So it's entirely possible that it might not have been invisible, but somewhere around us and not there. Oh, like Charlie McCarthy. Ish. That doesn't explain the the phenomenon we've seen so far. Um, the first night at the at the Four Seasons, there were definitely footsteps. I could see the footsteps in the snow coming towards the door before I closed it, and then I could see the handprints on the glass as they went up before the glass shattered. When we were at the the university. Something invisible was crawling around in there. Not to mention all the radioactivity. Exactly. I'm getting smarter just hanging out with the two of you. So what are we going to do? Regardless, as soon as the roads are clear, we need to get to Pembine. Yes. What we do know is it's outside. I say we barricade the doors, board up the windows. You got any sort of planks laying around, firewood? I don't know. We have firewood. Uh, there's a ladder in the basement. Um, chairs, tables. Yeah, well, I'll get to work. 
she's she's gonna like help uh, push like the bookcases against the back door. Yeah, I would be like nailing those to the wall and stuff. I think while they're doing that, uh, Dart has moved over to the table and is looking at that uh, that translation again. He's just staring it over. And how long do you suspect the barricading would take place? I think you're going to be busy for at least the next hour and a half. Okay. Cue walking on sunshine uh, montage. (laughs) 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 We got to have one for campaign, right? (laughs) In minor key. That ought to do it. So we got a lot of barricades and one gun. Great. Well, technically two, but I don't know how how good of a condition uh, Alfred's hunting rifle is. Green Bank, you packing? No, I can't stand the things. It was my husband's, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't stand to get rid of it. Well, dig it out. Let's take a gander. If ever there was a time, Doctor Greenbank, you would go into your bedroom, and you would go into the closet, and you would have to move many things, and you would lift up a multitude of Alfred's sweatshirts, you know, to get past them and a few boxes of different accoutrements that he would have collected and there you see it there is the unmistakable silhouette of his hunting rifle she's just shoving boxes and she decides she's going jesus alfred you were such a pack rat (laughs) there it is okay and she'll she's gonna pick it up you know Trigger locked, safety on, taking it downstairs. Also, if it's cool with you, I think Alfred collected baseball cards. Yeah, that's cool. I can see that. Yeah, like I, I, yeah. Alfred's a fucking dweeb. We all knew this. Yeah, dude, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, dude, like, I think he collected baseball cards for sure. So I think that you had to, like, you moved a bunch of boxes of things that are going to be worth millions of dollars now. Jesus Christ, Alfred. (laughs) Just Not to mention the names that players would have had back in, like Two Fingers Malone and shit. Oh, dude. And fucking Honus Wagner and, oh, dude, yeah. just just some great shit. Dusty Barnes. Dusty <laughs> fucking Barnes. <laughs> he was famous because he would play not wearing any shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This this man published a textbook on culture bound syndromes with his wife. You think he doesn't collect baseball cards? <laughs> goddamn right he does. You're goddamn right he does. <laughs> yeah, just she's. You, so I feel like you guys are like standing outside of the bedroom, and you just hear her shoving stuff aside, and every so often you'll hear Jesus Christ, <laughs> just like, and then she comes out with this long hunting rifle into a box of shells, and she's like, here you go. Let me see what we're working with here. Oh, it's not a muzzle loader. That's a plus. So I think it's a lever-action Remington um, with iron sights. It's pretty nice. Like, y- you don't think that it is beyond the pale of functioning. Like, you know, all of your experience would tell you that, it. you know, there's no real rust bots or anything like that. Like it seems to have been uh, stored in relatively normal conditions. And so like a little bit of gun oil, like this thing could be ready to go. And I think Alfred absolutely does have a case with like gun oil and the means to clean this with at s- in some place in the closet. 
Yeah. We can make do with this. Uh, green bank. Does this house got a second floor down below? She'll go, yeah, we have a basement. Okay. Yeah, that's something we're going to have to look at. Windows? Uh, upstairs and down, but not in the basement. Okay. There is a cellar door, though. It has like those, it has one of the cellar doors leading to the outside. Dope, I'm into it. Okay. No, that's perfect for the area. Um, so this house was probably built around like 1910, like somewhere in that neighborhood. And so you have to go around outside to what has been repurposed from a root cellar to a basement. So it's very short. You know, so if you're below five six, like you're fine to walk around in there, but otherwise it's uh been concreted. It's it's an exposed basement. Oh, exposed basement. That's not no. Okay. Well, we can't retreat down there. We already blocked up all the doors. And it's not worth shoveling the snow off of it. They'd have to be pretty strong to come up from an exposed basement into the house. How how strong are they? Do you really do you really want to know? Because supernatural strength is one of their hallmarks. No. I mean, it pulled that officer into the woods like a kite flying out of a kid's hand. Vandemika, you much for hunting? I haven't gone since I was a kid, but if you're not comfortable with it, I guess I can. Comfortable is one thing. Good at aiming is another. Uh, yeah, I, I can hold on to it. No, not too much different than my dad's, actually. I'm not proud of being a snitch, but, uh, that's the life I lead. You better take the gun. That's a weird intro to that sentence, but okay. Sure, no problem. It's context. The fact that I'm a snitch is because I don't like the wheeled guns. Here you go, take this. Okay, I mean, I'm I'm am proud of being a musician, and I will take this gun from you, I guess. Here's this too. You know how to oil it up? Uh, yeah. I. Oh, it's been a while, but sure, yeah. Now, what I like to do, since I'm a bit of a strategist at my house, even though the doors tend to be unlocked most of the time because I come home drunk, but when I'm getting nervous. I like to take these glass bottles and put them on the doorknobs. You got any glass bottles? Yes. Yeah. Put them on the doorknobs. She will do so. Wendigo, come out and play. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should space you two out a little bit. One in the front, one in the back. It's the best we can do with two guns. Uh... I wish we'd planted some traps outside, but it's too late for that. Nothing we made would have, would be able to stop it. We'll have to take this thing in shifts, so uh, how are we going to do this? Who wants to sleep? Who can sleep? Elliot, you are exhausted. I'll take first shift. And I have an idea. Greenbank, I think you should sleep too. Possibly that thing that happened last night may happen again the brains are gonna rest I will uh, take Holloway's gun and uh, take position I guess okay you might want to put another cartridge in I shot one 
Is it a revolver or what? Yeah, it's a revolver. So it's only got five rounds in it right now instead of six. So you'd have to take one of the rounds out of the, out of the speed loader, um, one of the speed loaders. Bonk. Done. Okay. Uh, Dart, are you also going to go to sleep then? No, Dart's going to stay with a watch with uh, Ronnie, and he's going to start making uh, coffee. Okay. So, Dorothy and Elliot, you go and lay down in separate bedrooms. I think uh, that your daughter's room is now a converted, like, office, but maybe you have, like, a fucking couch in there or something that Elliot can sleep on, and so... She probably just converted it into a guest room, to be honest, so... Oh, perfect. Yeah, that works. I'm down. Um, So both of you lay down and you go to sleep, and... It's tough at first, but Elliot, you fall asleep into this blackness at first. And then as things start to pixelate in front of you and you realize that you're going to be in Dr. Greenbank's home, you you realize that she must have also fallen asleep. And you don't know quite how you know that, but you know it. And you see Alfred as he just forms in front of you and Dr. Greenbank is sitting next to you at her kitchen table and Alfred is doing the dishes and he's he's just scrubbing at them furiously and you look over and you see that Dr. Greenbank is fully formed and Dr. Greenbank, you would see the same thing. We are again. It worked. Yeah. Shall we continue our experiment? I suppose. Alfie? Oh, hey there, Dot. Uh, how's it going? Well, we're back here. It's nice to see you again. You know, it's kind of nice now that, you know, you know that I'm just well, I'm just part of your mind, and uh, so I can kind of, kind of be me. I'm glad. You know I love you, right? I love you too, Alfred. She'll give him a kiss on the cheek. You gotta, you gotta solve this, or real bad things are gonna happen. I know. But I know you can do it. You always did believe in me. I can't... I can't... follow you into the hallway. But, uh... just know I'm always with you. I know, well. And he disappears. We can take a minute if you'd like. No use dwelling. Okay. So the last time, we know at least one door is safe. Because it went from the front door to which door was it on what side. 
um, of that endless hallway. There are only two doors to Dorothy's house that you know of, and you have not gone back into the hallway, and it is daunting to try and remember exactly where it was without experimenting with Dorothy on one side and you on the other. Just go open up the front door again, and we'll leave that one open. Okay, yeah, so we'll we'll do that again. We'll open both doors. And again, across an infinite expanse, you can just barely make out. And it seems further than before, and you find yourself incredibly glad that you decided to experiment instead of just leaping out and hoping you'd remember. Okay, do you have a journal on you? Uh, she will go into one of, is, are the drawers in the kitchen, is this like the same as last time where? As you open a drawer, whatever you are thinking of appears. Uh, a notepad and a pen. Done. Were the notes that we wrote down last time still in there? Absolutely. Alright. So, let's go, uh, left one. That's, uh front door, left one. I'll go out the front door hallway, enter door, left one. Okay. Are you going with him, Dr. Greenbank? She's following behind, but yes. Okay. Are you leaving the door behind you open or closed? Open. So, you open up this door and it just opens up into this infinite hallway. And you can see uh, Dr. Greenbank behind you. And it's really weird because she's very far away, but like very clearly is, you know, right on your six. And you can see inside of the house um, in the distance. And but it appears to be the same hallway. Okay, this one just goes further along. I'm going to go back through and close that door. Like, so where I'm just out where, where she is, instead of skipping along. Okay. Okay. Now we're going to do right one. And I walk across the hallway and open door right one. Same thing as left one, so long as uh, Dr. Greenbank has that door open behind y'all. I'm going to continue this, like, sort of um, sort of progression for the next, maybe five doors and you you i'm getting that like with the door to the house still being open this is what we're getting is it just keeps correct okay yep okay so i want to try something but it's dangerous i trust you elliot close to the door to the house behind us she will do it Okay. What door would you like to open? Left one. You open up the door. And you look out and you see a beautiful flower arrangement and these white settings on all of these tables. It it's a wedding. A wedding. Does it look familiar to me or to her? Uh, Dr. Greenbank, it would look familiar to you. Oh my god, is it her wedding? It is. Oh my god! (laughs) Okay. She... 
she it kind of god and this would be 1920s wedding too so take it that what you will and she um she'll kind of step up to the doorway and just go this is my wedding we don't have to go in yet we can catalog some of the other doors it's it's up to you like I said no use dwelling let's maybe just a couple steps inside okay and uh now the hard question door open or closed let's leave it open behind us but just a couple steps inside okay Ellie, you would notice as Dr. Greenbank steps inside um, this very beautiful white lace dress that would appear upon her. And she seems to get younger, like much younger. And there are no guests or anyone else in this, this room that is quite grand. Like there's a chandelier above, like all these place settings, but there's no one here aside from you and Dr. Greenbank. Dorothy, if you're looking back at Elliot, you all of a sudden notice his face like has kind of a befuddled look and then you see like a, a kind of smile grow on his face. Elliot has a tuxedo on, by the way, Dr. Greenbank. Wow, snazzy dresser. Oh, yeah. Uh, you ought to go take a look at your at yourself. Oh my god. Is this her is this her wedding dress? It absolutely is. This is still wrapped in tissue paper in my closet. <laughs> well, might I say c- congratulations. Well, thank you. Well, uh I think we should look around. Um look for any other doors for one. When you start talking, she looks like she was kind of lost in space for a second. Just go, oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, since we're doing this again, <laughs> I- I'm going to, like, um, search for a plate. And is it still, like, her mother's china? Um, no. It is different uh, oh, okay. place settings. I'm going to throw it on the ground. <laughs> It shatters in a very uniform way. Well, we know the physics of the locality hasn't changed. Are there any, like, place cards? Or... Um, yeah, you would see that all of your friends have, you know, their names set down at different tables, and then there's the head table where, you know, your name and Alfred's name are both on these very fancy calligraphy place cards. My god, neither of us were Dr. Greenbank at this point. <laughs> yeah, time has a way of uh, changing people. It certainly does make a fool of us sometimes. Yeah. Changing maybe even the wrong word. It's, it's more like just adding people to yourself. You go back to a place and you feel the same mm-hmm. yeah anyways is there like any windows yeah there are windows then 
as we as they walk over, she'll just be like, and God knows our mothers wanted to get involved with every aspect of this. You're still in school. Why are you getting married now? God knows you won't have time for babies while you're in school. <laughs> no. And then Mary Catherine wasn't born until 1933, which, you know, if you know anything about the 30s, it wasn't exactly a good time to be having kids. Wow. I didn't even... I don't even know if this venue is still open. I don't know if it made it through the Depression. Would you like to try and open a window? Yeah, uh, first I'd like to see a window. Do we see, like, uh, you know, scenery outside of it? Or is it like a void? No. It seems like a void. Okay. Well, that answers that question. I'm going to open the window and see if we can sort of hear anything out there. You... Open the window, and you think you hear a soft voice sort of beckoning you. And you don't feel nervous for the first time in here. Describe this soft voice. It's sort of deep, but nondescript at first. Dr. Greenbank, you would hear the same thing and feel very kind of at ease. You hear that too, don't you? I do. Somewhat soothing. Yeah. I'm going to take a candlestick off of one of the tables and I'm going to stick it out the window. What happens to the tip of the candle? It disappears like you don't see what happens to it, but when you pull it back, you have a lit candle in your hand. Well, I blow it out and then do it again. Same thing. Is the wax melted like it was searingly hot, or does it just seem like just something lit, just the, the actual wick? Seems like the same thing. Uh, it, it seems like how a normal candle would have reacted to how long you have had it lit. Oh. Are you ready for me to do another stupid thing? Please don't get yourself hurt. Not on my wedding day. <laughs> I could just go with the pinky. When in doubt, pinky's out. Might as well. I'm going to stick just the tip of my left hand's pinky out. It goes in. You feel nothing different. You just can't see it for a little while. You pull it back out, and it's still there. That's, that's interesting. I, I felt nothing. I'm going to stick my whole left hand in there. Same thing. I'm going to go a little bit further and actually make a grabbing motion. Do I grab anything? Nope. Dare I try it? Why don't you let me try it first? And she'll stick her hand into it. Same thing. This is... I stick my face in while she's saying that. (laughs) You stick your face in and you see this gentleman is sitting on a couch across from you and... He's got a a black Stetson cowboy hat on and he tips it towards you and he's very well dressed, um, but you know, still Southern, kind of very silver accented and things like that. And he says, well, I didn't think you'd ever come through. Yeah, uh, excuse me, do we know each other? We're about to, if you're about to take the leap, man. <laughs> Just give me one second. I I have to. I'll be I'll be back. 
Take all the time that you need. Uh, oh, mask your name. I, I'm, uh, Elliot Halloway. I'm the Metatron. Interesting. Very pleasant to meet you. I'll be right back. And I put my head back through the thing, back to Dr. Greenback. What did you see? Hmm. <sighs> so, it was a room with a man in a Stetson hat. Very welcoming voice. Goes by the name of the Metatron. No, 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 no. We are not getting involved with that. We are not. No, you are not going into that room. The 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 document that was that was on the table. This the, the last page. It mentioned the Metatron and said, "Beware." Okay. Metatron is the voice of God, though. The angel who is the voice of God. Should I stick my face in and say something? I mean, I believe that if if we're to go back in there, it would be polite to... to go. Just a second. Just one, one, one minute. Let me, let me say a word to him first. Yes, hello. And she'll, she'll stick her face into the mist. <laughs> <laughs> Why, good evening, Dr. Greenbank. Good evening, yes. Um, my companion here and I were, uh... Will y'all please come and sit down? Will we be able to leave? Y'all can go whenever you like. We're inside of your head. I'm a guest, ma'am. And he'll tip his hat. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Elliot. Uh, Alright, I'm right behind you. And struggling with the 1920s wedding gown, she'll climb it. I'm gonna bring the candelabra with me, and I'm gonna watch it light as we go in through the threshold of this uh, thing. It's one last little experiment. Okay, so Dr. Greenbank, you would immediately notice that you would uh, be back in your normal clothing when you crawl through this uh, hole. And Elliot, you light the candles of the, or this candelabra was already lit and you go through and you notice that the flames stay lit as you bring it in. And- Oh, well, I, what I meant to say was I would have like blown it out and then like, cause I want to see it, like how it lights as it goes through. Oh, it doesn't light as it goes through. It just stays normal and you get in there and huh. it's still unlit and then a Davenport would appear in front of you and a uh, like coffee table in front of that and he would stand up as Dr. Greenbank would enter the room and the Metatron would then beckon all of you to, or both of you to sit down. Yeah, I take a seat. I kind of look puzzlingly at the tip of the, the thing because I expected it to light like it did the first time I stuck it in. So, you would see that a pack of cigarettes appears on the table in front of you, and the Metatron would reach out with uh, his left hand, and he'll grab the pack, and he'll put a cigarette in his mouth, and you'll notice that the Metatron does not have a right hand, and he'll 
look at uh, both of you and he'll say, Now I uh, suppose you have a few questions considering, well, turns out you're both astral, uh, I think they call them projectors nowadays. Yes. Um, so, Dr. Greenbank informs me that the Metatron, it's a, it's an angel. Am I mistaken? I am touched by God. I am the voice of God, if that's what you're asking me. Uh, yes, um, pardon the, the curiosities, um, in certain intellectual discussions I've had with uh, some colleagues at Cambridge that were more in the religious uh, realm of things. They mentioned the angels actually, according to biblical scripture, they looked like a collection of eyes and wings. They, they didn't look like people, actually. Now, that is a fantastic point, Elliot. And here's the thing. I kind of have two fathers, so to speak, right? One, Jesus Christ, Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever you know him as, is my father, but also I have a sort of mortal helper, if you will. I see. Well, Dr. Greenbank... <laughs> Uh, who is this mortal helper? Oh, that gentleman has gone by so very many names, but well, some would say he is Lucifer himself. His goal is to take and rip down everything that Jesus has stood for. Everything that Jesus has fought for. Do you understand the type of claim that he has upon this world? I want to. I, I have an idea of it. I, I was fairly young during the war, but... Uh, unspeakable evil happened it, it's no doubt that if if this all exists and you are who you are that puts things into brilliant perspective go and find the cardinals The Devil's Antlers is a production by the Time to Die Podcast Network. We have lots of other shows as well. All of our links and content can be found at timetodierpg.com. The ukulele music is by Charlotte Pelgin, who recently released a new album. Originally, it was on physical media, but now you can get it digitally. Find her at charlottepelgin.com or use the links in this episode's description. The episode description also has links for our players. Tonight's cast was Tim Demuse as the Game Master, Chris Riley as Elliot, Aubrey Gray as Dr. Greenbank, Eric Pat as Dart Vandermeek, 
I'm Brian Bridges, and I played Ronnie Pinkerton. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode of The Devil's Antlers. Would I be able to assist him? Because uh, Latin probably would have been a required course at Cambridge. Yeah, actually, then... Um, so, here, let me retype it out. Uh, go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. Give me a second. All right. I'm getting verklempt. Talk amongst yourselves. Rhode Island is neither a road nor an island. Why do they call it a boxing ring when it's square? <laughs> How come your nose can run, <laughs> but your feet can smell? That's kind of weird, eh? How <laughs> come you drive on the parkway and park on the driveway? Rafe Fines is neither spelled Rafe nor Fines. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we know all of these? <laughs> <laughs>